Hey, welcome back to Tarantino's. This is a movie discussion podcast that celebrates the awesome films from the 1980s and 1990s. I am your host, Michael Morales, and like always, I'm here with Angel De Leon. Easily loses train of thought. <laughs> you know what I was thinking. <laughs> and so, in this new exciting episode, which is actually our first episode of the new year, uh, you know, Happy New Year's, everyone. Uh, we're going to be talking about two classic horror films from director Wes Craven. Two- we can't believe we made it a whole year. <laughs> <laughs> They're not and, shutting us down. So uh, this, uh, the movies that we're going to be talking about are, are 1984, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and 1996's Scream. Both were directed by Wes Craven. Two films that kind of defined and redefined the slasher horror genre. Uh, I think despite the, the similar setting, you know, both films take place in suburbia. Both kind of center, center around a group of teenagers who are hunted down by a mysterious killer. Despite all those kind of similarities, I think these two films are kind of the great example of how the horror genre evolved and, and developed between, between the 1980s and the 90s. And I think you could see the differences between the two movies, although it's directed by the same uh, dude, Wes Craven, and it's also kind of have a similar cast. It's all young teenagers, but I think it's you can see the difference. Something uh, the horror genre was something different in the eighties than it compared to the the horror films in the in the nineties, and a lot of it has to do with the oversaturation of the slasher films. And I think uh, that that's a discussion we should should have before we kind of go into the the movies individually uh but let's start with kind of director wes craven he is such a horror icon what makes him uh, let me ask you this angel what makes him such a kind of powerful horror director during the 80s and 90s well if you look at his his credits i think a lot of it is he has a lot to do with the writing so he's from like inception to actual what you see on the screen so he doesn't lose anything from thought to sight. You know what I mean? There's nothing where it's uh, maybe the the DP has a different outlook on it and or the director has a different image in their head. So I'm pretty sure from what he thinks to what goes on there is pretty, pretty right set. And um, it seems like... It seems first and foremost that he's a fan of the genre. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He's not out there trying to make. It's like when I see like Landis and I see these guys that can go all over and do great things. I think that's amazing. But I'm thinking I don't know if they're testing their limits. But it's kind of like when I see a guy or see a director that does a certain type of movie. It's like okay, now I know that guy likes that movies or. That person loves making those movies, which means he loves watching them, which means, you know, that that's like his thing. So I always appreciate that they try to stick to what they do best because I'm always, you always get a certain level. So like you're always, whenever you watch anything with Wes Craven, you're guaranteed that it's going to be at least a low A, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> if you were to grade him, the, to me it is because he's one of, I mean, you got Hills Have Eyes, Last Hill. Last House on the left. Even the weird ones like Serpent and the Rainbow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when I was actually going through all the stuff he made, um, it was crazy. He had a, like, there was a lot of weird flicks that me and my brother would watch. 
like remember um X Files, their yeah. boss Skinner. So he's in the movie where he plays a bad guy. Remember that movie Shocker? Shocker, yes, yes. He gets actually Yeah, dude, I I didn't know that was Wes Craven. We watched that movie constantly. Yeah. No more Mr. Nice Guy. I don't know if it was just always on HBO or whatever, but I mean that's the kind of stuff that we used to like and we used to watch. And it's like he had his hand in everything. Like between him and Carpenter, I think that was like 80% of what I watched in a ch- as a child for scary movies. Me uh, and my brother, we used to watch m- multiple times uh, a movie that he directed called Swamp Thing. Adrian Barbeau and The Swamp Thing, an outrageous pair in the incredible adventure that grows on you or all over you. Swamp, yes. Swamp Thing was based on the comic book character. It was a horror character. And, you know, look, it's a low-budget movie, so it really didn't it didn't have, you know, much of a budget to kind of adapt the movie, corre- adapt the comic book correctly. But it had this kind of funny kind of exploitation fun with it. It was kind of set in the swamps of whatever, Florida or something. But, uh or, you know, I mean, it must have been, you know, shot in Florida or something like that. Uh, I'm sure it was like some Latin America country or something. I can't remember the plot line, but it, it's it's a film that I just would watch over and over and over again. And then, but it's a it's a it's a great film. <laughs> it just, anybody's listening that hasn't watched it, it's worth like searching it. You know what I always remember about that flick is the way that the way the image looks, it's it's kind of like you know how people get glamour shots, yeah, yeah. Where it's almost like a little dreamy and f- like f- fuzzy on the edges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how he did it, but that's what it looks like, right? The film stock looks there was a lot almost of, like everything's a dream. Yeah, there was a mist to it, and it was like low yeah. angle shots, and like the sun will will peek through the to the the floor, yeah. But I mean, forest, it's perfect. Like yeah, yeah. The guy gets shot, <laughs> and because like you know, like it was like almost like a like a. Oh, like a screwed up way to die the swamp brings him back but like <laughs> mixes with him you know what i mean so it's like here you go get your revenge but take a little bit of the swamp with you and i don't know it's classic <laughs> they made a couple of those dude that that movie is is great and the comics great i you're right i forgot that he had something to do with that that's a great movie. <laughs> I think the what makes Wes Craven kind of special is like the way he tells his stories. He's he's someone who kind of understands the ca- how the way to move a camera. It's funny because we you know we uh, our first episode was dedicated to American Werewolf in London, and John Landis was a guy who's kind of very similar. They're both not flashy, and we, once you really think about it, kind of the horror directors of the eighties and nineties are not really flashy. Uh, John Carpenter, he's I, you wouldn't say that he's a flashy director you know he, he doesn't he it's about the frame it's about the way you cut which is very different f- to the horror movies nowadays the, the horror directors uh the horror directors coming out now are extremely cinematic extremely kind of using the camera moving the camera around not not the case with Wes Craven he's kind of a more kind of I would say classical filmmaker in that sense yeah and you know it seems like he he still got the same effect that the guys are getting today, but he, like he, he and, okay. When I watched this movie, I thought a lot of the stuff he didn't do, but he does. He just does it 
Like, because my whole thing was going to be he doesn't have to do the jump scares and the this and the that. And I was thinking that was more, like, on the Scream side. But when I rewatched the original Nightmare, he had a lot of that in the original, too. Like, he he might be one of the first ones that I could think of that started to use um, outside influences on when to time the audience's scare. Like, the music or the setup or the slow... Like, he actually, in the shot, have, like, almost, like, a slow pan. And you don't even really realize the camera's sliding. And all of a sudden, it's just one little flick. And all of a sudden, you're looking at something different. And he brings you into the scare that way. You know what I mean? I really appreciate that he he brings you into it the way he does. You know what I mean? Like, it's, he just uses a lot of your senses. Like, just the outside sounds and the, like, like the whole, like, a cat it's somewhere down the alley. You know what I mean? Not mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. what's right in front of you. He gives you, he gives you depth. And I, I, I didn't know that that's what he did. It's, yeah, it's a little bit like the world building that directors kind of do nowadays. He understands the world of, of, of say, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh and I think when when we when I rewatched the film, I, I didn't realize kind of he's under, he understands kind of the the silhouette of the character. He understands the character. I mean, he you know, Freddy Krueger is probably one of the kind of classic monster movie or, or creatures, right? He's like a, a he's up there with Frankenstein and Dracula, these type of classic monsters. And uh, I think. The way Wes Craven designs him is just as as important as the way he kind of shoots the Freddy Krueger. You know, um, let's talk about some of the slasher films in the eighties and nineties. You you're probably more. I'm more monster or. Oh, so you were not slasher. You were not a big a slasher guy. Yeah, uh, you give me you give me the nightmares, dude. Oh, favorite franchise ever. I loved it. It. It was responsible for more of me not sleeping <laughs> as as a franchise. As a character, it's always been werewolves that have kept me awake and scared. Mm-hmm. But as a single individual, like not a, I guess a, a species, like werewolves would be a species. As far as one character, is always Freddy. Because that guy got you when you sleep, man. So it's like, <laughs> I could be awake, I could be fine. But as soon as my eyes closed, that guy was waiting for me. And I knew he was waiting for me. And yeah, he kept me awake, but I mean, that's my—he's my ride or die. Like if everybody's Jason, uh, Mike Myers, no, the uh, Freddy's always been number one. Oh wow, okay, yeah, me too, me too. I'm—I should, I should. <laughs> and when he's not killing you, he's funny. You know what I mean? So, he brings more to the table. He's well, yeah, Freddy Krueger. <laughs> conversationalist. Freddy Krueger. I always thought was like maybe a horror version of uh, Bugs Bunny. Someone who always had this, a smart Alec yeah. temperament. He like he would have uh, one-liners. He was like great in that way. I should am- admit and you know come uh, come out and say that I have not seen one Friday the Thirteenth film. I have not seen one Jason's film ever. You know what? Not <laughs> not even like like the newer. I could see you maybe skipping the first five, uh-huh. but not even like. Freddy versus Jason? I saw Freddy versus J- Jason. I did, but see no that. standalone Jason. No standalone Jason, and I really? only seen maybe 
Halloween one and two. I haven't seen any of the sequels. I seen yeah, the, I, like, I, I seen the new films that just recently came out, but not like yeah, those sequels in the eighties and nineties. Three and four shit the bed, and then five they started doing remakes towards the first. The actually I think the third one was seriously about a video or something that made people go into a trance. It had almost nothing to do with Mike Myers. It was, it was real. Like they were. <laughs> <laughs> they were reaching during that series. Yeah, I mean, th- and that's what I wanted to t- talk about a little bit because the slasher film genre was really oversaturated in the 80s and early 90s. And it really, I think it affected why we kind of lost interest in horror in the 90s and why, like, when Scream came out in 1996, it kind of re-energized the genre and, and became, and then, you know, there was multiple scream like movies that came after after the scream and uh but at the time at horror was kind of was a, it had a bad reputation it had probably uh you know it was i guess it was a little bit of a joke or, i mean i don't know what's your feelings about horror through the 80s and 90s it had it's definitely one of those things where it had its heydays and if you ask me like maybe 87 through like 92 93 it was the spring of good horror flicks great like you had a lot of early soon-to-be stars starting out in horror you know what i mean like it's easy to get a role you cute kid good acting <laughs> and then later on you know you, you you become a big star for like dramatic stuff but i think you're right it's kind of like maybe 93 like kind of early 90s it was kind of like it, everything had been done. Yeah. You you can't get me to jump at the same thing I've jumped at for the last 10 years because it's just, I, I see it coming a mile away. I seen it before you wrote it. You <laughs> know what I mean? When you hit record, I was already bored of it. And then it gave it enough time to die down so that it was, even though it was definitely not new, it was new to the time frame. You know what I mean? And we hadn't seen it before. And then... It's kind of like the way they sh- dude. If you ask me, it's funny because the way they did Scream, I honestly always think of Scooby Doo. Oh, the angles on it, the shots, oh, okay, okay, the way everybody interacts. Like if you think about Scooby Doo <laughs> and you watch it again, you're like, holy crap! It's got a lot of like a uh, like quick face shots of like someone like like Doofy, like he's making a face like. Like, like scared, and then they cut to the van, and it's it's just, dude, it reminds me of Scooby-Doo. I don't know why, it just does. Now to see who this phantom really is. Ace decade? But why? Yeah, well, you gotta remember, in the 80s, you got the rise of the VHS market, and so there was a lot of low-budget horror movies, really cheesy horror movies that kind of flooded the market. And I think at, at the time, um, you know, it'd be, uh, horror films were were treated kind of like lowbrow. It, it was trashy, and it didn't. It was it wasn't uh, earning respect at the time. And I think I I, I kind of just remember on a mainstream level, on a mainstream cultural level. I think the biggest blow to the horror genre during this time may have been Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy had this really funny bit in in Delirious where he was uh, making <laughs> these really funny jokes about the Exorcist and Poltergeist and I believe uh, Amityville Horror. The jokes about like walking into a haunted house and the ghost saying. 
Get, uh, get out? I would have been in the house and said, oh, baby, this is beautiful. We got a chandelier hanging up here, kids outside playing. It's a beautiful neighborhood. We ain't got nothing to wear. I really love them. This is really nice. Get out. Too bad we can't stay, baby. Like, Eddie was kind of making fun of, like, kind of the logic in horror movies. and how Yeah, or the lack of logic, yeah. <laughs> how the characters are kind of gullible in these movies or naive. And I think that was a big blow because that was a big stand-up uh, uh, video that everyone saw. And I think people kind of had a, and I, I, I don't want to blame Eddie for this, but I think that was, he was tapping into like what people were thinking about horror. Like it didn't logically didn't make sense, you know? Yeah. But my thing is, if you're going to watch a horror movie, you're not a big, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not going out there for the logic. That'd be like, like my brother, I've been sitting next to him during a movie. He goes, oh yeah. Like that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Like, There's holy like- shit. Dude. This isn't the discovery channel, man. This is- they're watching them. But I think there was a lot of people like that when they're watching horror movies. Yeah. It goes, I, why are you going in that door? Why are you going inside that house? What, you know, blah, blah, blah. People but, were talking and about And so what he's doing is he's bursting the bubble. Yeah, like yeah, everybody yeah. knows it's cheesy. <laughs> it's like WWE if someone went backstage and you watched them all rehearsing. You know, it's like, oh, you're going to crush all these little kids' hearts because they think it's real. And, you know, everybody knows it's fake. You just don't want to. It's, it's like the reveal shows for magic. Yeah, don't. You know, don't show me. I I let it be magic. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street. This is this came out in 1984. This is during like the heyday of slasher films. Still, uh, it it was kind of a playing on the idea of Halloween. You know, we got a slasher film, a slasher serial killer here. But I think what Wes Craven does here with Freddy Krueger, he kind of invents like one of the classic uh, horror villains. Uh, let's talk about it. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on, on rewatching a nightmare on Elm street? Okay. Um, nightmare, always one of my classic faves. I, it's not like it's been 30 years since I saw it. I saw it probably before last Thursday. I seen it maybe about a year ago. Uh, the only problem is I think when I watch it, it was usually like as a background or I'm on my phone, there's something going on. So this time I killed, I killed everything, but the TV. So I'm watching it, and I picked up on a lot more stuff. Like like I said, I thought the jump scares and the um, cuts were all done after. And it's the, they're in there. It's just they're done better, and they're done cleaner. And it's it's not so... He doesn't force it down your throat. He lets you get scared. But he kind of leads you, and then you... He's like a 80-20. He gets you 80%, and then the last 20, you just jump on your own. But it was very actually, <laughs> it's weird because when you're watching the movie, you think it's going to be about the first character, the, the, um, Tina, Tina, the, yeah. yeah, the blonde. Yeah. So, and it's like, it's a good third or quarter of the movie about her. And then it switches to the main character. So that part always got me weirded out. I wasn't ever sure who the main character was. And then oh, like, it's like, okay, I'm going to follow this girl. We're watching her nightmares. We're learning about her parents, and then boom, she's gone. I'm like, what the hell is this gonna? You know, what I mean? is this like the world's shortest movie? And then it, yeah, and then it goes into the girl. Um, uh, Nancy, dude, I forget her name. Nancy. Nancy, but she was in a couple of shows that my sister would watch later uh, in life. Heather Langenkamp. Yeah, and she, she, I just remember she was in a TV show with she had like eight sisters. Yeah, the eight of eight just of the eight of us or yeah, something. something like that. Yeah. yeah. 
But uh, like it was so funny because when I'd watch this movie as a kid, I didn't, I couldn't remember anybody's face except for Kruger. So when characters came on later, it was like that show showed up, and I'm like, that girl looks familiar. And then my sister's like, yeah, she's the one from Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> like, oh, that's right. There were other people in Nightmare on Elm Street. I forgot. But when I was watching it, it's he is. Okay, Wes Craven makes a, a beautiful movie if you just let him. Mm-hmm. And when I'm watching the movie, I, because I know the whole, I know the whole story behind Freddy. As I'm watching it, I'm appreciating all the little things, like um, when people are the he uses the same color pattern for Freddy's outfit. All of a sudden, someone has like a dirty hat on. You know what I mean? Just stuff like all weird kind of stuff. And then my favorite part of the film and it's what gave me the nightmares was when you're watching it it sometimes takes you a couple minutes too to realize if it's like real in the movie or if it's someone dreaming in the movie you okay tina just a dream mom some dream judging from that and that was the aspect that always screwed me up in real life and he progresses the story along like that back and forth. And it's almost to the point where you just don't know what to expect. So you give up. So like I watch a movie where I, uh, and it's a horrible thing to do, but I'm always anticipating stuff and I'm always like putting the story together right before I see it. Mm-hmm. And I remember just on the remake, I remember knowing where I was going, but I'm like this movie, I, I was, I would have just gave up. I would have just had to keep letting it take me anywhere. And one of my kids showed up at the scene where um, Nancy's in the school and all of a sudden her friend's in the body bag and you see it being dragged down the hallway, but it's just, it's on its back. The legs are up in the air, but nobody's dragging it. It's just sliding. And my son was like, wow, check that out. And, you know, like he was in awe. And I'm like, holy crap, this is early 80s. And that is a badass scene. And the effects were great. You And, and he's good because you hear it sliding. You're not just seeing it. So it's like kind of like, it's like a dog. You know how like a dog, it's like if they can't <laughs> smell it, you know, it's like they're, they're not eyes. They have all those other senses. And if if they don't all check off, you know what I mean? The, it's like, nah, it's not real type of deal. But it's like for us, it's like you can see it and your mind will tell you, okay, it's, it's real. But then when you hear it, it's just like you're sold instantly. So I remember seeing that and thinking, God, I didn't know the effects were this good. And then I'm like, damn, I was watching the whole thing. And except for the hugest, cheesiest part at the end, most uh, most of the effects are still pretty strong for the day. I think so, too. Yeah, I think so. Too. And you know they had almost zero budget because you know how they they, they, they tout this is the movie that kept um, kept their that company alive. So it's they yeah. weren't throwing money at it. Yeah, this was this was done by New Line Cinema, which was a at the time was really kind of a distributor of foreign movies and, and like really low budget films this was going to be their big movie they were betting everything on it and uh they put a lot of money on it and uh bob shea who was the president he he you know because the the success of this film uh really turned uh new line cinema into what it be, ended up becoming like becoming one of these premier horror labels in the 80s and 90s uh unfortunately it's i think it's, it's gone now or if it is it's part of it yeah it, but yeah it, it didn't i don't it didn't like die and go away it probably got sucked into a huge company yeah I, I but it. i re- i remember seeing something like yeah it was like 
three people in an office suite or something. That's yeah. what the company was down to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's and then and now it's known. Well, at the time, it was known as the the house that Freddie built uh, because because of the success of Nightmare. Yeah, well, like you were saying, the practical effects in this movie is is fantastic. I, I I think of the first scene or the first kill in this movie, where we see uh, Tina, who is the character, and she is like slashed multiple times, and it's a really bloody scene, and she's uh, still because she's still sleeping in, in her bed. Uh, she be- begins to hover, right? She begins to hover in her bed and then hover towards the ceiling. And it's a really kind of terrific special effect. You're, you're 100% right. I didn't know. I didn't remember how good that scene was. It's fantastic, man. It yeah, and dude, it, 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 it's old school where they create the room and they put it on a pivot. Yeah. And they spin the room. Because she starts to slide to the side of the wall, then she slides up the wall and across the ceiling. And I'm looking at everything because I'm a jerk. So I'm looking at sheets and stuff to see, you know, what's going to be affected by gravity. And they did a real good job because nothing really came out of place. You know what I mean? And I was like, holy crap. And I was trying to try to explain it to my kid. It's like, dude, they spin the room upside down. He goes, no, they spin the camera. Dude, you can't spin the camera because she's still be on the floor. You know what I mean? You gotta spin the roof. It's it's the technique that they they did for uh, Fred Astaire when he's famously danced on the ceiling, right? It's so yes, that's exactly. So they bolt the camera down in a fixed position, and so they have the whole room built on a kind of gimbal, and they ro- rotate the whole room while the, the camera doesn't move, and so it makes the actress in in this scene uh, makes her look like she's floating in air and onto the ceiling. It's like such a sophisticated camera setup and but it, the actress has to sell it yeah that's true she can't yeah. just yeah she i mean she looked like she was sliding being slid you know what i mean there's a difference between sliding and being slid literally and she looked like she was being slid up the up the wall across the ceiling i just don't know how they did it on i mean they must have borrowed money from everybody they was related to them i didn't know how they would get a budget to get all that in there i know it's it's amazing and and i think that's the beauty of wes craven because he's able to have do these in-camera effects so he has like kind of this one foot in traditional hollywood movie making but he also has the other foot in like this slock exportation type of filmmaking and so he's he kind of marries marries the both techniques like and to to come up with you know the gumption of of like well we're gonna shoot this first death scene in this kind of contraption and i think wow this guy uh understands that the first kill means a lot for a movie like this exactly and it's kind of like i like that it 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 shows you that if this is how it's going to start that's my thing is if it's going to start a certain way it's like okay this can't be the crescendo because it's just the beginning you know what i mean so it's like hold on to your seats and I, I get what you're saying. I like the fact that, you know, he's classic, like his right arm's classic. So he's like, okay, I got my hand on this, so I always know where to come from. And he's also, why won't I let my left hand swing wide? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And maybe it's going to work. And you know what I mean? It's not like someone's going to see something, like he films it, it doesn't work. And he's like, okay, instead let's do this. There's nobody over him that's going to be like, no, no, use that one. He doesn't like it, he doesn't like it. Or it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least try it. You don't know until you get it on film. Maybe maybe that was how it was with the the room upside down. Maybe maybe ninety percent of the crew and everybody's like, "This is gonna 
look bad. This is a waste of time. This is a waste of money. Right, right. And then when they're all done, he's the one that stands up and goes, in your face! You know what I mean? Like, that killed it! Because he did it, especially back then. I know you're saying Fred Astaire. Yeah. But who would have thought that concept would have worked for yeah, a horror for, film? For a horror movie, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, what, what I really liked about uh, the beginning of the film of Nightmare on Elm Street is that Wes Craven does a couple of different techniques. He does this really cool uh, special effects where... We don't see Freddy Krueger, but he, we see him, his silhouette, his white silhouette. The, we see the contours of his head and hands as he str- stretches through the ba- bedroom wall while Nancy is sleeping in, in her bed. It's kind of those really striking images where she, where Freddy kind of is trying to escape the wall, but it kind of feels like a balloon or it feels like kind of this kind of a tapestry yeah like he's trying to come out of the dream world yeah it's such it's really such a striking image it's a classic (laughs) that is a classic like they've made toys artwork off of that because that's like you said that's that was a great concept and it worked so good. Still- and even when my wife saw it, like she's never seen the movie, she came in on a, one of those parts towards the end. He does the same thing with the mother's bed. Uh-huh. And she just turned away screaming. You see, <laughs> I don't like these movies. I don't like these movies. Because that, that freaked her out still. Yeah, it's and my gr- daughter was like gr- drooling. Gr- like, oh, God, that's so cool. It's a it's a magic trick really i mean it's like it's it's generate it generates like this goosebumps it's 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 scary it's a scary image it's a also beautiful image you know it reminds me of it reminds me of when you find yourself like in a movie and something's happening on the movie and you find yourself like pushing yourself back in your chair like subconsciously you know it's 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 on the screen but you feel yourself like (laughs) i'm trying to like i'm getting away from this you know what i mean it's like but it's 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 like a like not a feral, but it's a very deep, just like animalistic or um, it's in the core of you to when something is coming and you're really scared to the core. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your body's already getting ready to go. It's it's fight fight or flight. But yeah, and I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, it was like the shoulders went back, you know, like oh shit, <laughs> that guy's coming through the wall. L- l- Let's talk about the first shot, the first real shot of Freddy Krueger in this movie, in Nightmare on Elm Street, where this is the first time we ever see this kind of character. He's played by the great Robert England, who I I used to know from V, the miniseries. (laughs) The lizard guy, yeah. He was the the guy that liked people. I'm just... You're lost. Lost. Yes. Lost. English not well to me. Learned Arabic for going there. And they screwed up and sent you to L.A.? Yes, screwed. Well, L.A.'s not so bad. It beats Fresno, let me tell you. It's a great performance by this by this guy. It's actually, you know, he. I think he gets better in the franchise. He gets uh, gets more chances to kind of... Yeah, like, one-liners and stuff. Yeah, but in this one, he just kind of is the silhouette. He's more kind of uh, a ghost creature. But I think Wes Craven really understands, like, like, the silhouette, using silhouette as a way of to 
introduced his character to cinema. Uh, the first time we see him, uh, Freddie, he is walking in an al- al- alleyway, and his arms are like kind of ex- extended <laughs> extra wide like an accordion. Dude, that part was so awesome the first time I saw it. Like he's yeah, because he's covering the whole alley with the width and. It's so cheesy, but it's <laughs> <laughs> and he gets the glove hand and it sparkle it sparkles. Ni- yeah. Yeah, and it's a nightmare though. Yeah, yeah. So you can't be that guy that oh that's impossible. His <laughs> arms aren't that long. It's a goddamn dream, dude. He can be whatever he wants to be. And you know, she she he is uh chasing the, the character Tina and Tina goes, Oh my god and it, and then Freddy quickly like snaps his, his gloved hand with the blades to the side of his 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 face and it's a really really cool tight close up of Freddy. This is the first time we really see him. And he goes, This, this is, is God. And I think it's just as iconic as the first time we see when we see Boris Karloff as Frankenstein, or the first time we see Bella Lugosi as Dracula, or even like Anthony Hopkins as as Hannibal Lecter. I mean, it's really stark. You got the dramatic uh, light uh, lighting. And it's really kind of like this new Hollywood monster is born. It's, he is introduced to like the lexicon of classic horror films. I mean, it's, it's like one of the great moments of the movie. Yeah, he's going to be an icon. He's going to be around forever. Come to Freddy. It's weird how they can make such a huge, like, like part of his character is that he's, he's all burnt up. Mm-hmm. And yet they don't tell you why until like the last 20 minutes of the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. it's like, when you think about it, yeah, it's like he's burnt up. So, you know, he's burned, but it's like, you don't think it's going to be as significant until they tell you at the end when the mom tells the story. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, you almost forget like that he was burned because you just figured that's part of his character. But I mean, like you said, it's, it was a weird twist to add. And when he's like in that same scene, when he's trying to scare so he pops up the the no glove hand and then pops the glove hand and he starts to cut his fingers off. So it's like this guy doesn't even care about cutting his own fingers off, you know. So you're that's you're creepy. toast. It's creepy. Yeah. It's like really creepy moment. Yeah. But you know what? And, and this is love, Freddie. And this is the funniest thing. Okay, you got like uh, I know uh, Friday Thirteenth, Mike Myers. These are in, these are scary dudes. They are huge physically. Yeah. They're big, they're wide, they're strong, they're breaking, like, you got Mike Myers that just pushes somebody around the corner and he breaks the guy in half, you know what I mean? Freddy is short, he's little, <laughs> you know what I mean? He, like, physically, he is the least scary, um, I guess you would call, uh, horror icon that you'd ever think, like, the only one that he's bigger than is, like, uh, Chucky and the Saw Doll. <laughs> Because, because he like even I think when he's talking to Tina, they're about the same height, and I think she even picks him up and throws him through a table outside. Like they fall through a table when they crash through. She he might be smaller than her, but I was just thinking that's so funny because without the claws, he he's just like a homeless guy that's bugging you, you know. What I mean? But because he can he can control your dreams and everything, he's a he's the scariest guy on earth. He's the scariest character in the world. Yeah, it's it's that's the thing about the character. I mean, the setup of the character is that he's able to enter enter your dreams, and that's where he rules. He, he's he's the the nightmare god, really. And 
that that concept like you were saying it's it's just a terrifying thing like because we're at our most vulnerable when we're sleeping and we're just defenseless it's like one it's just one of the most kind of vulnerable moments in our lives to be sleeping and to for have someone to enter that and violate that it's it's a creepy feeling and yeah, it's like you're truly never safe yeah that scene in nightmare where nancy is dozing off in the bubble bath <laughs> dude, and i i made my son watch i'm like dude because dude you know how many times that's been done in other movies yeah and he even recognized because as soon as he saw it he goes oh i know this and i go yeah but you don't know this is where this came from this movie started this like scene and they've copied it in a hundred things because everybody knows where this is from you know what i mean like like i don't like that my kids will watch something and it's like you know they sample like music and they think that those <laughs> those people created it it bugs me i always take them back to 1990 you know like here no no this is ace of bass you know what i mean this was done <laughs> this is done in 93 i don't want you to give your stupid whoever is listening to you right now don't give them any credit they didn't write this shit they just copied it you know what i mean so like i i make a big deal because i don't know because credit needs to go where it's deserved yeah so I'm like this is this is the movie came from this is wes craven he thought of this shit it's amazing you know what i mean they'll do it on every other thing oh yeah it's sorry it, but like yeah it's a well it's an incredibly effective horror scene because nancy's do dozing off in her in the bathtub in the bubbles and we see freddie's hands freddie's hand with the razor blades it, co it comes up from the soapy water and craven what's craven is establishing here that when you're sleeping you're extremely vulnerable and in a bathtub you're even more vulnerable you're naked you're exposed you're unprotected and yeah, it really it, it really gets under your skin at this this particular image but when you think about the angle too he could have shot that from over her shoulder oh yeah, yeah yeah not even close to as scary if you ask me but the whole scene from like if you were the drain plug or some shit like you know the other side it's because you have her she's dozing off like the you can see that her like you know she's even relaxed her legs are open she's just yeah, it's about to doze legs. off yeah. yeah and it pops up like almost like a shark or like it was like coming up to see what's going on and now it's gonna but i do because honestly i that for me it was the angle too because over the shoulder or it wouldn't have been as scary because i don't know it's just because the way they cut it, it just he kind of pops up a little from the bubbles. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, it's like I believe there was a world underneath. But if I was the other way, I'd be like, wait a minute, is there a shoulder? You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to look for the rest of them. So <laughs> this way, just it just oh dude, that well, that's one of my favorite scenes. Man. It's it's a great image, and it, it, Wes Craven is calling back from a similar scene in what in a previous movie that he did called Deadly Blessings. And in that movie, a woman is in the bathtub, but it's a snake. Someone puts a snake in the bath in the bathtub, and the snake up appears in between the woman's legs. Kind of very similar. And uh, Freddy Krueger's hand, I find even more creepy and more kind of, uh, uh, you know, just 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 scary. And yeah, because you know he's not in that water. He don't <laughs> fit in that tub. Yeah. <laughs> And but then later we see that you know he pulls her down and there's like kind of this deep water you know, tank that you know darkness which reminds me of Get Out really I mean if you if you see Get Out the 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 what's the what they call it the when the guy falls into the, uh yeah the the almost like the rim 
yeah, his subconscious type of deal. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a very similar kind of striking image too. You know what? The, actually, every time, well, since I watched the later movie, that part always reminds me of the part on Train Spotting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they went through the toilet, yeah, that's what that reminds that, me. Yeah, of. true, true. That, that too. Uh, the the sunken place, as they call it in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like very surreal. Yeah, it gets you instantly. I think that's actually why the sound, uh, not the sound of water. Was it the sound of water? That movie was always so good to me with the, uh, the Guillermo, the, Oh, the shape of water, shape of water. Yeah. That's why I think that's why that one was so good to me. I, it's the whole underwater world thing that I, it's like, Oh, it's, I don't know if it's in my mind that it's like the, I think there's so much stuff in the world, right? Like houses, mountains and stuff like that. And then I realize it's only like a third of it. You know what I mean? And then two thirds is water. <laughs> okay, so yeah. if this is a third and i think it's almost too much what the hell is underneath that what you know what i mean the, uh, that the that's deep, why it gets me the deep because yeah, there's yeah. there's so much more underwater so it's well i know what you're saying it's yeah, it's, it's the, they pulled you into his own yeah it's the the blackness it's the unknown of of, of what's underneath the water and stuff like but that. then it's, it's kind of too like if you ever just like you know how like you're well shit i don't fit in a tub anymore but <laughs> if they had a tub when you just lay back, and one of the best things when you're a kid was the sound. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when, yeah it's like a deafening. Like, he, like I can hear my brother going like, Angel, Angel. But he has to yell it, and it's almost a whisper underwater. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I loved that aspect, too. And it's just like I open my eyes, and I see him, and I'm just thinking to myself, I just need to close my eyes, and he's going to go away. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like the, what do you call it, the, the perception tanks or whatever. It's like oh, one yeah. of those things. Well, I mean, in, in in Nightmare, Wes Craven, I, I think he has, like, I think some of the best images in this movie. I mean, the phone with the tongue is, like, one of the great yeah. <laughs> images. Yes. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's actually a scene in this movie, which I didn't realize after re-watching it, where Freddy Krueger kind of phases through the bars of a cell, a, j- a jail cell. Yeah, yeah. When they, uh, right before he does the rope thing to hang the... The one kid? The guy that doesn't wear a shirt but a jacket, yeah. <laughs> Uh, which reminded me of Terminator 2, where the T-1000 uh, <laughs> is able to pass through the the bars in a very similar yes, way. And, and Sadly, I just watched that movie, like, <laughs> Thursday, too. I, I think it just showed up on uh, Netflix. Yeah, Terminator 2 is a great movie. But, yeah, but his remember that he stops because a gun gets stuck? Yeah, oh, that's and right. And he has to turn right. his wrist. That's yeah. right. But, no, I know it's almost similar shot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, he I mean there's, there's a lot of great moments in the movie, and... Uh, I guess we got to talk about the Johnny Depp death scene, which is very iconic too. But you know what? Well, okay. So, but before we get to that, you know what I like? I like the fact that when the, they flip the script, not flip the script, but the characters in the movie decide, Hey, let's stop being victims. And then Nancy decides, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go on the offensive. Oh uh, yeah. She does a little research. Then she pulls in, um, Glenn, who's Johnny Depp's character to sit next to her right right. if she gets in any trouble wake me up you know what i mean so she's got the concept of i'm gonna i have to go after him in his world or whatever so i like that concept it's not they didn't stay victims the whole movie you know what i mean so i like that west craven gave these teenagers a little bit of gumption but the concept that you can go to sleep but still be influenced by the awake world was crazy because you can see okay so he'll just wake her up as she wakes up but in that very first scene when she goes to sleep 
she's like, hey, are you still listening? He don't just hear him. He pops out from behind a tree and says, I'm still here. So you got to think that she's basically falling into sleep, her dream starting. But in the real world, he says, I'm still here, which makes her mind create a him in the dream to pop out from behind the tree and say, I'm still here. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? So yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. so if he talks to her constantly, is he also in her? Yeah, but they went past that. But I do. I know what you're saying. I like that. I like that part. I like the the aspect that she's gonna start going back in the dream and. Well, I don't know. The, well, the oh shit, the oh shit moment in this movie is when she pull. She's able to pull a the, the hat, hat, the hat, and also the there's a great detail that Wes Craven added to it where she has like. A gray streak in her hair because uh, yes, because she was uh, she was scared to death and that caused the gray gray streak. I'm like, oh, that's such a beautiful idea because that that would have passed any other director, you know. Like, you know, it's just a great moment. I mean, it's just these the little details that make the the scene better. There's that, and just it, uh, to me, it wasn't so much that she was scared, but it's that the uh, this the dreams and the reality are having a toll on her. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's funny because there's a scene. Because they're high school kids. Where she looks in the mirror, she goes, oh my God, look at me, I look terrible. I look like I'm 20. <laughs> and it's like, dude, first of all, in real life, you're like 24. But secondly, it's like, okay, if I'm a 17-year-old, to you know, I look horribly old and I'm 20. So there's that part where she's talking about that and then she gets the gray. So I know what you're saying. I do, I like the fact that like, yeah, it's gonna, it's taking its toll. And I tried to explain to my kids, like, they were like, well, how do you fight this guy? And I go, well, did you see your bring the hat and i go that shows that if like because then there was like okay so he kills you in your dream big deal and i go no no you don't understand if he kills you in your dreams you die in real life yeah, yeah. and like you're you bring that death back into real life and i go that's why when she brought the hat back you know that was a big deal because if she can if she could like get a hold of him you know it's like the it's all built i'm like you gotta watch it's a build up for what's gonna happen but it's like you gotta start putting this together like you're their characters you know, like when you're watching it, you're putting, you're putting a plan together as the characters are putting the plan together. So I, I like that aspect of him. It's not all of a sudden someone shows up and go, "Hey, this is what we're gonna do." You know what I mean? He's, he's feeding them little, like baby birdie style, where they're going and they're discovering stuff on their own and they're putting it together. Yeah, I mean, it's all it's it was supposed to make all make make sense when we get to the end where Nancy is like turning the tables on on uh, Freddie, and she does like a Home Alone thing where she does like the the the, <laughs> the booby traps her house, which which I thought I thought that was like very clever. Uh, yeah, I just don't know where she got all that shit and <laughs> yeah, how she how she was drilling and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it really was like in like ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yeah, like she got a lot of shit done in ten minutes, you know. She should become a general contractor, man. <laughs> <laughs> These guys take like three months to add a bathroom. <laughs> she fortified her house in like fifteen minutes. Yeah, I know. Uh, but before we get to the end, let's talk about Johnny Depp's uh, famous death scene. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, first of first of all, we gotta say that this is the first time we see Johnny Depp. He's a young kid. This is probably his first film role. And he gets yeah, it's, it's got him as introducing, so I'm thinking that this has got to be his first. Yeah, his he first was role. he looked like a baby in this movie, yeah. and and he, you know he's part of the one of the great iconic death scenes for in this nightmare franchise, and we see him getting swallowed up. He gets pulled down into the mattress. And well, then, and you got to admit that he he caused a uh, 
nationwide craze for cutoff mid-drift <laughs> football jerseys for men everywhere. Yep, yeah, yeah. I, I rocked that for a while until I realized that it's not a good look when you're a little when you're a plus size kid. <laughs> When that scene ends, it's a standing lake of blood. <laughs> yeah. Like if you look at it, it's gone from it's it's taken up the whole floor, and like it's like built up levels. Like it's like two inches thick. It's not a puddle. Like because I was wondering how they did that shot. Like I figured they flipped the room, sprayed it down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they kept going till whatever was full of blood was empty because it's it's like a little lake of blood. It was, yeah. And like you said, I like the fact that it was, because like his, he's getting sucked down, he reaches. So anything that was touching anything he had, like yanked down with him. Like, like you said, TV, everything with that. It was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, <laughs> it was like one of the memorable things that I remember. Cause I, I like, to be honest, I haven't seen a nightmare on Elm street for a very long time. And, but I still remember that, that iconic scene because it's like the a, only, the only Part that was kind of cheesy about that was remember the mom had opened the door, so <laughs> yeah. she's just standing there and watching this. Yeah, and she's like, but she doesn't run or scream or try to get help. She's just okay. You're busy. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> she's not doing nothing, man. It's like jump in there. I don't know what to tell you, but it's just it's the weirdest response to your son being like put in a blender and shot all over the ceiling. Well, I think the parents in the movie kind of not or weren't the greatest. I, I don't no, really. They were horrible, but that's got to be something for him. That had to be done on purpose, right? Because these guys are way off the res with not paying attention and not believing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Dad, I'm going to go fight this killer guy in 20 minutes. Come wake me up. Okay, that's good. Go to sleep. And then the guy tells another guy, Tell me if something happens. Then the other guy starts hearing her screaming out the window. And he's like, Are you okay? Like, dude, the one dad told you to keep an eye. She's screaming, you know what I mean? And it's, she's breaking windows, and you still don't know if maybe I should give him a call. You know what I mean? It's just oh, like, yeah. oh, Daddy, help me, please! Maybe I better go tell a lieutenant. Yeah, all the adults in this thing are just way out of it. They are. Yeah, there's a there's a particular scene with Nancy's like uh, screaming at her mother, and her mother's, uh, you know, I, well, I guess it makes sense because she's supposed to be an alcohol alcoholic. Yeah. But, but it's like some really terrible kind of reaction, you know. That. You but know, that had to be on purpose. There's no way he found that many shitty actors. <laughs> It had to be the writing, it though. Had to be like the writing. he wanted them, yeah. It had to be like they had to be stupid because, in or- they had to be stupid in order for these kids to do what they did in the movie. Yeah, and they're just. I think it was like because when you think about it too, like our parents, like if I said oh, I'm going outside, they're like later, or they don't say nothing. But like me, this generation's a little more like with my kids. Where are you going? Outside? No. Where are you going? <laughs> yeah. Where will you be? We pay a little more attention. The the generations before us could give a shit either way. They were too busy with their lives. <laughs> yeah, but I dude, I think it is funny the way those all the parents and all the adults are written written yeah, off of that. They, they couldn't care less about the about the kids. And yeah, not at all. Like, uh, dude, the guy, oh, the dad. Remember Johnny Depp's dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His yeah. his whole thing is he unplugs the phone. The one thing that might have saved his kid, he just unplugged it. Oh yeah, Glenn's not uh, sleeping right now. He can't talk to you. 
hangs up. The but phone. then he, but you know, the best part is he hangs up the phone and he turns to the mom. See, that's how you gotta treat. You know what I mean? It's like that's how it's done. You know what I mean? Like boom. Hello. Just a minute. It's her. She wants to talk to Glenn. About what? What's this about, Nancy? Just a minute. She says it's private. Very private and very important. Give me that. Glenn's asleep. You'll have to talk to him tomorrow. You've just got to be firm with these kids. That's all. Let's go. As a matter of fact... There's Parenting 101 right there. <laughs> Bing! Uh, a really quick, the ending. I mean, it ends kind of like a surreal nightmare. It's a kind of a surreal sequence. Nancy and her friends are locked inside a car, red car. And then you see the rooftop slammed down and locks. And it, it reveals kind of Freddy's iconic red and green sweater. And they kind of are stuck. And then you see the mother at the, at the, at the, at the front door. Yeah. Well, we, <laughs> we skipped the part that at the Nancy goes, tricks him out. Oh right, she wins. Kills him. Yeah, she's the she's the heroine. What do you call? It? Yeah, final girl. They call her the final girl. Yeah, the final girl. She tricks Freddy, pulls him out, kills him, and then it's one of those things where the whole killing, not really killing Freddy, she just basically ad- admonishes that he's just a dream and that he loses his power in our physical realm type of deal. Yeah, yeah. So like literally, it's that last thing where she's at the door. He goes to grab her. He disappears into like a blue haze, you know, type of deal. Yeah. And then all of a sudden she opens the door and it's the next day. Like, so she's going out a door to run from him. He disappears. And then the door, when she opens it, it's the next day. The mom's there. It's like, everybody's back. I think it ends perfectly with this kind of not oh, yeah. dr- dreamlike sequence where it like, did, did she really conquer Freddie or did, uh, did Freddie get the, the last laugh? And why are we forgetting about the scariest thing of the whole movie is those goddamn little girls playing jump rope, singing that stupid song. That song scared the crap out of me most most of my life. Like, if I turn the corner and I see little girls jumping rope in, like, Sunday school outfits, I just, I, I, to this day, I'll do 360 and get the hell out of there. I don't, something bad's happening on that street. Yeah, I mean, one, two, Freddy's coming for you. Whatever. Yeah, one, two, Freddy's coming for you, three, four. And then my kids think it's funny, so they sing the song when I'm sitting there <laughs> in the middle of the night. God damn you. And then you you you, uh, you pull out the, the, the phone and you say, no more phone for you guys. That's how it's done. <laughs> and then I put I, I, I put a fake tongue on all their phones. But, um, but, okay, remember the swamp thing thing? The swamp thing uh, that I mentioned how everything's hazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the same kind that's of... That's the scene, yeah. yeah. It's exactly shot like that. The, all the ex, like the exterior is pretty bright and stuff. Yeah, it's good. I think I think it's a beautiful way to end the movie because it's uh, you still don't know what what happened. Was the whole movie a dream? You know, so I I, I love that I aspect to it. Yeah. So uh, really quick, I mean, because um, now we're gonna be talking about Scream, which is a total you know set in a totally different decade done 10 years more more than 10 years later Wes Craven is much older he's more renowned he's not like this unknown director he's more renowned as a horror filmmaker but I think you know A Nightmare on Elm Street really kind of perfectly represents that time in America because I think you gotta remember in the 70s and the early 80s this was this kind of mass 
relocation, this mass migration of people leaving the big city and they were moving into the suburbs. You got to remember in the 70s, in in downtown big cities, there was crime and corruption. There was like this big violence and danger. And you you see that in like films like Taxi Driver and, and Warriors and like Dirty Harry and Death Wish, right? You see that kind of that dangerous big city big down, downtown big city uh you know the problems of that and in real life people were kind of moving into the suburbs and they were yeah. they were thinking that the the suburbs suburbs is going to be the place where you you raise a family and you have children because it's safer there it's and nothing really happens there so it was this kind of idea of this modern american dream where you can have the house with the white picket fence and the 2.5 children and the dog and the car and all that and i think nightmare really plays on that kind of ex- uh, anxiety of that people had at the time that you know, the fear that somehow the violence and the danger of the big city is going to follow them to the suburbs. And I think Nightmare is a, you know, perfectly hits that nerve that the suburbs might not be as safe as you thought you were. And I love the fact like that the teenage children in, in the film are really paying, paying for the sins of their parents because the parents were the ones that burned and murdered Freddy Krueger. And Krueger was kind of represents this like, child killer he's a killer of children and so he's he's kind of like this you know the danger of what we thought that the big city was and i think that that's what's the beauty of uh, of nightmare on elm street is really kind of you know it is a slasher film but it's really kind of uh playing with the fears of of that kind of um you know where, where maybe even even the places that you think is safe isn't safe and so Scream, on the other hand, is a little bit different. I think this is the 90s, and the suburbs have become more commonplace. And I think the movie is really kind of making a comment on the boredom of the suburbs. You got to remember, in the 90s, all the movies were about how the suburbs were kind of killing us artistically or mentally or physically or something. Something about the suburbs was just so boring, so dull. It was the dullness of this these type of sleepy communities. And if you think about the kids in Scream, they're kind of nerds. <laughs> they don't do much. They don't do nothing. They just hang out. They drink beer. They watch horror movies. It was kind of p- pathetic. Although, albeit, I would say that it's almost exactly what we did in the <laughs> in the nineties. So we did this exactly what we did. You know, we watch a yeah. But it's, it, I think it's a it's a it's like a testament that if you put a kid somewhere where he doesn't have to worry about nothing. It's the idle hands thing, man. Pretty yep. soon yep. they're gonna they're gonna invent drama. They're gonna invent. But if you put them in a like a almost like a downtown suburb where they got to be on their toes all day, they're busy making sure they survive. Yeah. Instead of this one where they're bored, so they're gonna actually start torturing people. And dude, there's a movie. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, Summer of '84. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it, the catch line is uh, even serial killers live next door to somebody, <laughs> yeah. but it's it's the truth, right? You know what I mean? It's like it's just like when uh, when people were like, "Oh, uh, if you get a new TV, cut up the the box and make sure you throw it away because if you have uh, after Christmas, if you have like a bunch of boxes, people know what you got and blah blah blah." Oh. I'm like, okay, that that's good, but you don't understand. Yeah, yeah. If you already live in the ghetto, they don't go. Mm to the ghetto to steal your stuff. Oh, that's true. You know, they go from the ghetto to a nice place. (laughs) So it's like, whatever they used to say that, like, do you understand? People don't come to this neighborhood to steal. (laughs) 
they come to catch the people that stole from but them. I think the, if you're living in the in a poor neighborhood, it's like already a given that you you're already on your toes already. Yeah, just from the from day one. And yeah, we shoot back. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think what what's Craven with both of these movies, I think he was trying to really portray what the suburbs were like at the time, even though it's an extreme level of it, exaggerated uh, level of it. But I mean, with Scream, I think he was trying to really show like the lack of empathy of that generation, our generation, the Gen X yeah, generation. When, dude, when you see the opening scene, okay, great opening scene. Sorry, jump into it. No, let's do it. Let's do it. That house is gorgeous man it's beautiful yeah and they're all spread apart they're like little mini mansions it's like this person has nothing in the world to be like to ever worry about it's like i would never leave my parents house if they lived out there <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah these guys got no problems at all yeah and it's and it wasn't just scream i mean i think i think you see that in a lot of movies in the 90s where the suburbs were and i think you still see it now unfortunately because we kind of lost touch of the class differences in in real life and it's not reflected in movies nowadays it's really every it seems like if you watch a movie nowadays everyone has a nice home which is not the case but particularly in our generation the gen x generation we were kind of known as the slacker generation and we had this kind of lack of empathy when it comes to some of these things and i think what was wes craven was trying to say is that if you live if you leave your kids to with this kind of boring life they will come up with things to to excite them yeah all their time and it's not always good stuff it's not always good stuff and i think uh, in a in a smart way scream is 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 reflecting on that and you know it's also a horror movie i don't want to make it too kind of heady or too kind of uh stuck up but because it's not that it really is a really great horror film that trying to redefine the genre Uh, yeah and then as the movie goes on the whole the whole i mean everybody i don't know if I don't think I'm doing a spoiler, but the whole reason for the actual killing is based on a revenge from um, somebody having infidelity with somebody else's parents. So it's not like they just sat there and one day went bad. There was a there was an underlying anger for yeah, yeah, yeah. the mom sleeping with the dad, which broke up the family. You know what I mean? So it's not like we just went crazy and wanted to start killing people. Well, I think the other, you know, the the reveal of the, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, watch the movie, but we're going to be talking about some of the, uh, the things that happened in the film, but, you know, the reveal that there's two killers and one of the killers is absolutely just bored. You know, he's just doing this for fun. Yeah. And one, one person, the other killer is actually has a revenge plot, but I mean, the, the accomplice here is really just up for doing it because because of shits and giggles, really. <laughs> well, I, and the accomplice is is actually incredibly important because, like I said, where my brother would be like, "Oh, that's impossible." Mm-hmm. That this would be a movie because it's not a, a horror based fantasy dream, whatever. Where I would tell myself that, where it's like, "Okay, he's in jail, and then this happens." Like, no, it can't happen. You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's too far fetched like if you fact check the movie for the big like the big twist is impossible because there's so many you know what i mean everybody you would everybody would do that like nah there's no way he could have done this and this and yeah without so the whole the double reveal that it's two i i enjoyed that yeah it's it's 
they're, they're really thinking about the logic, which which I was saying about yeah, it. exactly, <laughs> which I was trying to say with the Eddie Murphy when I bring, when I brought up Eddie Murphy's bit, you know, where he was making fun of logic in horror movies. Here, they were actually really trying to figure out if this all makes sense, and I think they did a pr- really pr- pretty good job at it. And that, and I think the what the genius of of Scream was that this is one of the first movies that you know the characters are actually living in the world where horror movies exist and the characters know horror movies and they you know there's a lot of references to other horror movies in the film and that never really happened before i mean not to this extent and look i i really love like the walking dead the tv series i still watch that show i i always been a uh i've been a fan for like what it's been running for almost a decade now i jumped like season five that was just too much (laughs) But yeah, and it's currently in this final season, so that I'm sticking with it. But I still find it very odd that no one in the show calls zombies zombies. <laughs> yeah, know? no one. Almost it, like it's trademarks. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like they, none of these characters exist in a world where zombies exist or zombie movies exist. And so Scream is in another way, and it's in a sense, it's saying no, no, no. Let's be more real about that. Uh, characters would know about some of the tropes and stuff like that and i think that's the smart way to approach this redefining of the of the genre but let's let's talk about the you know the opening scene this is the kind of the the opening 13 minute opening scene with drew barrymore uh which is probably the best scene in the whole movie it is by far what's that noise popcorn you making popcorn Uh uh-huh well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters? Yeah. What's yours? Guess. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the one where the guy had knives for fingers? Yeah, Freddy Krueger. Freddy, that's right. I like that movie. It was scary. Well, well, the first one was, but the rest sucked. So, you got a boyfriend? (laughs) Why, you want to ask me out on a date? Maybe. Do you have a boyfriend? Um, No. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. I loved it. When I first saw it, I thought... If this is how it's going to start, I got to strap in because this movie's going to be amazing. And when I watched it, like, it is best actress from the whole movie. And it's not just because she does her best acting in the movie. It's just that she's just more known. She's more famous. She's better at her art at the time. Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Yeah, she's on the phone. It's the whole phone call guy upstairs, you know, like, have you checked out the kids? Similar scenario. And it's, it's cut very well, and it's done very well. And what I like is the same thing with Freddy. And I don't know if this is a Craven thing. Um, the, when she interacts with the killer, she's getting in some good shots. Like, she cracks him in the head with the vase, and he goes down. You know, he's not superhuman. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like, she, she gives him a good punch, a good kick, and that fool's on the ground. So, it's like, I, I, I dig that aspect. It's kind of like... They were pretty close to her, her kicking his ass, if you ask me. I thought it was pretty close. And then he just kind of gets the upper hand. But yeah, I do the opening scene, and uh, I was like I was telling you before, this is, like, I've been married 20 years, 
almost 21. Yeah. This is the first date I went on with my wife was this movie. And she spent most of the time, like, covering her eyes. She doesn't like any kind of horror slasher films. So I didn't get to pay much attention to the movie because I was too busy laughing. <laughs> but I remember this opening scene because everybody's quiet. The movie just started. We don't know what to expect. Hey, we're not finished yet. Final question. Are you ready? Please leave me alone. Answer the question and I will. What door am I at? What? There are two main doors to your house, a front door and the patio doors. If you answer correctly, you live. Very simple. Don't do this again, I won't. Your call. opening scene for me was awesome it was amazing yeah the, uh, the opening scene was like kind of a, a short film in it in, in the movie or i mean it could play like a short film and it and drew barrymore is probably bet the best thing about this movie is the best thing about you know the acting and she kind of relaunched her career with this film uh i was gonna say you gotta remember this is the movie from kid to adult right she had right. done a lot of stuff kid 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 teen teen and even though she played a teenager in this, this was her first, you can see the difference in her face. She's a woman, you know what I mean? And she, her acting chops were really, really pretty good. I mean, I love it when she's in movies, dude. I don't know why I like it when she screams. Cause that's like when real people scream and they're pissed. Like that's how they get, you get all fucking nasally and you know what I mean? Your eyes are watering and you're, it's, it's, it's the rage with the fear with the, everything coming through. So I, dude, I love it. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, it's 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 a great performance, and and it really kind of reintroduced us to Drew Drew Barrymore, the the more mature actress. And I, you know, like because the the scream, the new scream movie came out a couple of weeks ago. It's doing well in the box office, and but I, you know, I've been hearing a lot of the kind of this revisionist history about Drew Barrymore, how she was like, oh, it was a biggest shock in the world because she was the greatest actor at the time. And no. no, 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 she wasn't. She she was not a a list actor at the time. That came later. That that came much later. That came like after this movie because she was able to relaunch her career. But she was absolutely the biggest star in the cast. That's that's true but but she was more known as a as a former kid star and 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 unfortunately at the time she was more known for her tabloid stories you know she was famously went to dating and drugs yeah she famously went to rehab at 13 and she had this really horrible you know upbringing she i think there was a story that she used to go to studio 54 when she was young you know that's how kind Dude, of yeah they say she, she she had no parents. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're talking like pre, like we're elementary school. Right. Like drugs and alcohol were freely open mm -hmm. to her. Yeah. She's, she has a horrible kind of upbringing in the, in the sense that she had no parents, so no supervision. And, but because of the, these stories, she was kind of labeled as, you know, unfairly labeled as like the Hollywood bad girl. And she, she was able to use that kind of press uh, even though it's negative press, but she was able to use that press to kind of try to break out of that kid star, you know, label because she was an ET and fire starter. And then there was this yeah, movie before scream. I'm sorry. I'm looking at her biggest movie was boys on the side. <laughs> yeah. Uh, boys on the side. And it looks like ET. 
Well, <laughs> like literally. Well, there, there, there was, was a, a lot of little things, but nothing. Nothing big. Where you would greet her acting on. Well, there there was a movie in in the right before this called Poison Ivy, which was his, yeah. I was gonna say, but that was more. That I was, watched that movie a lot. <laughs> it was it was a cheesy kind of uh, Sarah Gilbert, right? Was it was it her? Okay, maybe it was her. I, yeah, I, I, no, it was her and Sarah Gilbert. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember yeah. that movie. It was a cheesy kind of thriller. She, uh, Drew Barrymore was playing like the Lolita characters, this young girl who was obsessed with the older man, and she was, so she's playing with this bad girl image that she's doing, and you know she famously posed nude in Playboy, and and the year the the year right before Scream, she famously danced on top of David Letterman's desk and, and flashed him, you know. Kind of was a, one of the iconic moments of David Letterman in, in the nineties. Yeah, wasn't she dating uh, the stupid guy from uh, Road Trip? That guy that everybody Tom, hated. Tom, Tom Green. Yeah, no, not was it Tom Green? Yeah, the comedian Tom Green. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's the kind of shit she was into. Well, that was, that was later. That's when she was. That's when she became like a, a, a big star. I mean, now she's kind of still in that B movie phase or the B actress phase. And so Screen comes out, and this opening scene, she's phenomenal at it. She's great and kind of relaunches her into this new kind of superstardom. But I, you know, I remember seeing the, the opening scene, and I was never like, oh shit, they killed Drew Barrymore. No, it was like, oh, that makes sense. But I think the, the bigger shock or the biggest surprise of, uh, of this opening scene was that. Oh, I didn't, you know, the, the response was like, well, I didn't see that coming. And and so, and so it, it was like, okay, this is not going to be your typical slasher film. I, and then I think audience, audiences at that moment realized that this movie is going to have some really nice surprises. And I think that's the beauty of that opening sequence. Uh, but, you know, I, I just wanted to point it out because a lot of people are saying, oh, Drew Bamer was the biggest star in the world. And what? no, no, let's, let's, nah, calm, really let's, let's calm down. Let's calm down there. Yeah. She eventually did become a, a big star, but. Uh, we all liked Firestarter, <laughs> but. Yeah, but I mean, uh, uh, I agree with you. I think once, once this opening scene ends and we get to the real story with Nev Campbell as um, Sydney, uh, you know. But once, you see, he, he followed the same. Followed the same um, like little plot thing as Nightmare, where it's it it introduces a character you think that might actually be right what the movie's about, and then they chop her up and throw her away, and it's like <laughs> okay, let's this is what I, this is what I'm about now. Let's start our movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, kind of dig it and cut, get it, and it cuts to the kind of the girl you know the the, the girl next door type of uh, character, right? She's not like a blonde. She's a the kind of normal girl, but she also has trauma in her life. Uh, Nev Campbell is very good in the film. I, I think, you know what? I would say, like, the cast is pretty good. Yeah. But uh, when you think about the characters, they get rid of the blonde that's has her boyfriend coming over with the parents, so maybe the little, the blonde, uh, easier chick, let's say, the sluttier chick. Well, and she, then it goes through the brunette that's <laughs> kind of... Like a little more wholesome, saving yourself type of deal. Well, I would, I was, sir, I was thinking about this. Like Drew Barrymore is playing like the popular girl, and then once she dies, it cuts to m maybe like not the popular crowd. It's just kind of the normal crowd, you know. Once we I get, they all know each other. So. Yeah, you know, it's still a small town. Yeah. It's a still a small town where they, everyone knows each other. But these are kind of like just normal kids. They're not like. 
the most popular kids in the school. They're just kind of normal. And, 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 and like I was saying, because of that doldrum, they really have nothing. It really seems like they have no future other than maybe they're going to be, you know, stay, they're going to stick with the same neighborhood once they take over their parents. Yeah. It's it's like, yeah, yeah. it's like, they're not, they're, they're no ambition at at all. And, and, you know, no one talks about the future. No one talks about, nobody's talking about colleges and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) And which, which is the thing that I think a lot of nineties movies dealt with, you know, this idea that suburbia was killing us in a way. And we see that in like, say pump up the volume. Remember that movie? Uh-huh. Which is like again, it's like a ni- these kids in a nice neighborhood, but they were kind of rebelling in a in a pirate radio type of scenario. Christian uh, Slater classic. <laughs> uh, there, there are a ton of, I mean, even like like you get to like in the late nineties, you get get into something like Fight Club, where where the guy is like just rejecting a normal kind of uh, you know middle class you know issues that he had. You know, Ed, Ed Norton. It didn't like his, you know, office life, you know, American beauty, another example of, of something that they were rejecting that suburban, um, issues or the suburban life, suburban lifestyle, yeah, uh, prayer of the roller boys with <laughs> Corey Haim, the futuristic gangs that ride around on roller skates, very similar pl- <laughs> plots, but no, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's weird. It's kind of like, you know what? You, you give me everything I need, but you know, what I need is to make my own way type of deal. Yeah. And it's like when they have the real bad kids and they say, you know, the parents don't know what to do. So they give up. And it's like, you don't understand what they actually need is the structure. They need like you, you got a ball and you're just throwing it and that's the bad kid, but they actually need that wall to bounce off of, or else it's not a game. So they need that rule. They need something. But on a surface level, I mean, I, what, what's really great about Scream is that it's not a who done it; it's a who is it, and I think that's what Wes Craven does. You know, he does a really great job of creating these kind of red herrings. You know, everyone is a sub, a suspect; everyone could be the killer, and it's really fun trying to figure that out throughout the whole movie. You know, Craven does a really kind of terrific job of like planting these little clues and these misdirections so throughout the whole movie we're constantly like guessing oh like is that the guy or maybe it's him or it's one of those things where you you only know it's not them because they got killed (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i think there's a there's a moment where we think it's dewey the david arquette's character and there's a moment where he kind of uh the the killer uh, uh calls um sydney terrorizes her and then and david arquette is there and he kind of picks up the phone he goes hello <laughs> and, it, and and the and the camera kind of stays there for a little bit of, uh, for a extra moment and then we go oh maybe he's the killer you know maybe that's a it's such a weird way to answer a phone you know no poor billy boyfriend an innocent guy doesn't stand a chance with you leave me alone looks like you fingered the wrong guy again who are you don't worry you'll find out soon enough i promise what 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 hello but i think what they do too is he's setting you up that the only chance they have, which would be like the police, 
He's not. Oh, that's that's. You know, he's yeah. not the. Uh, yeah, you're pretty much on your own. This guy's not the sharpest knife in the in the in the steak <laughs> drawer, and he's he's slow. And they do all the interacting though. Like when he's the the friend, he's okay. So it's like there's Sydney, and then her friend. That's the brother. So like really on in the beginning, the sister comes to get her out of jail. And is actually calling her brother the cop, moron, oh, yeah, an yeah. idiot, yeah, 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 at yeah. the police station, and all the other police are laughing at him. <laughs> and he actually says, "Sis, mom says when I'm in this uniform, you got to treat me with respect." <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like he's using his—he's a cop, but he's saying that mom says for you to do this. Yeah, right. It's a, so yeah, he's a joke, kind of. Yeah, David Arquette is. is f- oh man, he's so great in the movie, dude. Too. When he answers the door and he jumps, he's out. He's, <laughs> Dude, that was great, man. I found this. Come on. I I forget how funny Scream is. You for you forget like some some of the stuff is just absolutely comical. Like for instance, the principal played by Henry Winkler. <laughs> yep. He is so great in the movie. I mean, at the time we only knew him as Fonzie. Uh, this is years before he, he will have this incredible turn in 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 um. That one show, HBO show, Barry. Barry, yes, and and but you know, it kind of started here where we go, oh shit, Henry Winkler is yeah, actually a, he could be something other than yeah, the and and he's also terrifying because he's have you know like he's he takes the kids like he's uh he's berating the kids who are who who ran in their in his uh hallways as the uh, the ghost face killer they were they were doing a practical joke and he's like someone should cut you up from your ass to your appetite or whatever he says in that and I'm like oh shit you make me so sick your entire havoc inducing thieving whoring generation disgusts me so two of your fellow students just savagely murdered and this is the way that you show your compassion and sensitivity huh let me show you something you're both expelled get out oh, come on Mr. Hembry it was just a joke that's not fair you're absolutely right. It is not fair. Fairness would be to rip your insides out, hang you from a tree so we can expose you for the heartless, desensitized little shits that you are. He's not, He's a pretty dark character in this movie. But then 20 minutes later, you catch him dressed in the mask pretending to be a killer. Yeah. And it's like, dude, what the hell is your problem? <laughs> like, almost like Suburbia's got to made his life too boring. Yeah, it's and the kids have has turned his you know him psychotic, and I I love it because he goes he goes he hear, he hears something. This is his deaf singer, and he hears something in, in the background, and he looks into the hallway, and he goes, uh, you "Damn kids!" And he goes, and some the janitor goes, "What? What do you say?" And then he goes, "Not you, Freddie." And it cuts to uh, this guy in the fr- in the Freddie uh, in the Freddie sweatshirt, and it, and it's Wes Craven who's playing that character. Oh <laughs> shit! I didn't even pick up on that. It was Wes Craven. I just damn little shits. Would you call me? Huh? Not yeah. you, friend. Uh, Courtney Cox as Gail Weathers as the TV reporter. I I think that that was also a fun take on like maybe you know those those true crime uh courtroom dramas or uh, reality yeah. reality shows because that was right around the same time because the juice and all that stuff <laughs> oj yeah 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 that all came out what 93 94 and then yeah court tv exploded yeah yeah like it became its own channel it's like people wanted to see this shit all the time and i think the melendez case that yeah. was one of the ones that yeah. like yeah so 
I do that. That was a smart way to bring current current style into it, and it 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 gave another aspect and another depth to it. Like even though it's suburbia, we're gonna. It's not like they only cover crime in down you know in the cities. The, yeah, it, this it, was newsworthy still, and it's also making like a commentary on on how the it's salacious. There's these type of uh, journalists. It's they're losing salacious. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, give me bodies, give me number. Yeah, if it if it bleeds, it leads. Type of it thing. Leads, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jamie Kennedy as Randy as like the film nerd. Uh, oh God, <laughs> I like Jamie Kennedy, dude. I dude Malibu's most wanted's hilarious. <laughs> He's got some cheesy flicks out there. The only thing was, it was the writing. It's not that he bugged me. It's that his part is so so over the top. Okay, well, okay, the funniest thing to me is, okay, so, Jamie Kennedy, he's the one, he works at a video store, he knows all the rules for scary movies, blah, 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 and then they got that scene later on where he's watching, and it's funny because the, all the movies he gets, aren't they all Carpenter movies? Oh, I didn't even realize. Because he doesn't, he doesn't mention one Wes Craven, because he's all about the screams, and I think he escaped from New York, he was like, he was, I think he wanted to say he was just doing, or, uh, uh, Halloween. I think he was just doing all the Carpenter flicks, but the fact that he's watching the scary movie, you know what scene I'm talking about, right at the end? Wait, or am I am I killing you? No, no. With the ghost uh, ghost face killer comes behind him. Or they're at they're having the party at the house. Right, right. There he is. I told you. I told you he's right around the corner. Jamie. Jamie. Jamie, look behind you. Look behind you. Turn around. Behind you. I'll turn. Behind you. Behind Jamie. Jamie, turn around. Oh. He's watching Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis. His name is Jamie. You know what I mean? <laughs> so he's like, he's like, oh no, check behind you. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Jamie, behind you. Yeah. And his name is Jamie, and the goddamn oh. Ghostface Killer comes behind him. Yeah. And it's like he is narrating the movie, and the movie scene is happening with him at the same exact time. That shit drove me insane, dude. I don't know why it just did. And I'm like, oh my god, it's not even like a different name. Because he's not saying her name from the movie. He's saying Jamie for Jamie Lee Curtis. He's Jamie. It's like, watch out. You know, check behind you, check, and it's like the guy's right behind her, and I'm like, oh my god! So you're saying it's a little, a little bit on the nose, too much on the. You nose. know what? But I don't think a lot of people were gonna get it. You know, I didn't get it. I didn't get that it was Jamie and Jamie Kennedy. You know, yeah, I, I, but I mean, <laughs> dude, watch it; it'll bug you now. Because, <laughs> and like in the movie, the the uh, Myers steps out at the same exact time he steps out behind him, and I was like, god damn! But the only cool thing about that. I thought it was sick was that member um, Courtney Cox sets up a camera and they're watching it in the van with yeah, the yeah. news guy. And it has a, I, a I delay. I love the delay. Yeah, the the delay. delay. Great, great bonus. Yeah. Genius. <laughs> because you're seeing it on there. You're like, oh my God, you got to move. You open the door. It's like, it's not in there. There's a fucking delay, bro. You just signed your own death cert, man. Oh, so good. Behind you, kid. Behind you. Look around. What? Oh, 30 second delay. Ah! 
But yeah, watch that scene again and <laughs> just remember his name's Jamie, her name's Jamie, and everybody else is gone, so it's just him, and it's like you're narrating yourself, bro. You're narrating yourself. Let's talk about the killers, because the killers were revealed at the end, and it's Skeet Aldridge as Billy, who is a... Uh, n- Who's your first... You first want to think it's him. Right. Because he gets arrested. He's right there right after the killer leaves. They catch him running from the scene. You know what I mean? So it's this is the first person you think is him. Then they uh, it's smart. Then they lead you away by him being in jail and other stuff happening. So now you don't think it's him. Yeah, he gets released and you think, oh, he's all cleared now. And he is playing the boyfriend of Sydney, uh, which is Nev Campbell's character. Uh, the twist, the real twist at the end was that he had an accomplice and hit Stu, Stu played by Matthew Lillard. And Matthew, Who is, uh, dude, I love Matthew Lillard. Is, I don't know why. This, when, I always have. When we're watching this, I go, fuck, Matthew Lillard should be a bigger star. He should be a big actor, a bigger actor. A hundred percent, he should be a bigger actor. He, would he, I don't know, when he says something, it's almost like he's not acting, dude, because it's so clean. Like, I've known a hundred guys like this that when they're excited, that's how they talk. Yeah, yeah. Their mannerisms. And I love that when he gets excited, he's got, like, he's foaming. <laughs> spits coming out of his mouth because that's what happens. But, dude, like, when you look at his body of work, it's great. Mm-hmm. His acting is great. You're right. You're 100% right. He should be more famous than he is. He should be way more recognized because, dude, I mean, remember, dude, it took me forever to find a SLC Punk. Yeah, yeah. To to buy it on a format, and I think it was Laserdisc. <laughs> he is so good in that. He's, he's thirteen ghosts. He's good. Oh God. And SL and SLC Punk. He's phenomenal in that movie. That's yes. that's the movie that I go. Oh my God, this guy is better than what he's you know the roles that he's given. He someone should give him something so he could really shine. And he never really got that opportunity. Dude, he got fucking Scooby Doo. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like this guy should be in great movies, and he's got Scooby fucking Doo. And look, I'm looking at his IMD right now, Scooby-Doo's, and the next one over, SLC Punk. Mm. And everybody's going to be like, what the hell is that about? If you haven't seen SLC Punk, you are doing yourself a disservice. Mm. Watch that movie. Even if you're not a big Matthew Lillard fan, you will be when you're done. <laughs> yes, exactly. He is so, it, and it's 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 such an easily, it's so easy to watch that movie. It's a slice of life, and he, he plays 90% of probably the movie, right? Maybe 90% him? Yeah. And he keeps it fresh and interesting the whole movie. Dude, even when he interacts with his dad in SLC Punk, <laughs> when he pulls up and he goes, you can't afford me, old man. <laughs> Dude, that part cracks me up to this day because he's pretending to be like a hooker and his dad was like looking, picking up dudes to, to like gay dudes to bang. Oh, man, that's great. And it's, it's an interesting movie about punk rock uh movement and you think when you think of punk rock you think of new york you think of la what's great about this this is set in uh salt lake city which is a uh, which is and he even he even sets it up like that too man <laughs> which is like kind of the, the capital of of mormons right it's the mormons capital it's it's a religious town and you you never you, you, what's so great about the movie you never realize that in a religious town the op- there's, a, there's an opposite or there's a reaction to that where punk rock uh, in this case it's punk rock it's not just punk rock remember because his buddy dan gets beat up by the metalheads who get beat up by the skinheads <laughs> so it's it's like you said it's right so it's almost like for every action there's a reaction so even though everybody's mormon there's not just mormons and then just punks there's punks 
there's metalheads, there's Nazis. You know what I mean? There was even the, um, what do they call them? The guys that wore the scooters? The mods? Yeah, the mods. So I'm saying, like, as many people that they try to make, like, wholesome and good, there's, uh, you're right, there's an equal faction. So, I, dude, that part was great. Like, God damn, now I got to see that movie, man. That movie I mean, is so good. The, yeah, the movie it perfectly represents 90s, 90s culture. And it, it, and again, I think it also plays in that uh, that idea that suburbia uh, is killing us, you know, a little by a little. <laughs> and there's a reaction to it when you're younger. But yeah, create creativity, everything is getting just yeah, it's just getting all mundane and turning into gravy. I but yeah, you're I really love you're him. right though. I really loved him in Hackers though. Hackers was right before this, uh, right before before Scream. And Hackers, I thought I loved him in that movie too. And I I, I know Hackers is like a kind of a cult movie. It, it's goofy. It doesn't really represent like computer hacking or the world of computer hacking. It's more kind of a kind of a weird kind of expressionist yeah it, it didn't even have to be yeah. computers yeah, they could have just did it to anything it's almost it's like it kind of feels like it's set in some kind of near future too it's like <laughs> but i i i freaking love that movie that's just such a good, good movie and look I, I wonder if it's i wonder if it's his physical look because he's a pretty tall dude and he's a little gangly so it would be hard to give him certain roles you know what i mean Cause I'm trying to figure out why right now why he's not bigger than he is, cause he's got the chops, man. So it's like, cause maybe he can't fit into certain roles. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe he's unconventional. He, I mean, the look is unconventional. He is, yeah. He is, cause he's great in um, what's the show he's in now? He's in a show where he's married and he's a schmuck and oh, he's in that um, Good Girls, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, he had like a little surgeons as an older guy, but he, you're. I can't believe how spot on you were with he should be more famous than you. Yeah, and and rewatching this movie, it's it's really his performance in particular was the one I go, oh shit, this is really good stuff, and I love when you know they're stabbing each other at the end, <laughs> and he goes, I'm, you went a little deep. <laughs> I'm feeling a little woozy here. Yeah, woozy over here. She said everybody dies, but us, everybody dies. But us, we gonna carry on and plan the sequel. Cause let's face it, baby, these days, you gotta have a sequel. Ah! He's sick for fucks. You've seen one too many movies. Nah, Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. Stop it, Billy, would you, alright? I can't take anymore. I'm feeling woozy here. Uh, he's hilarious he's hilarious he's it's terrifying and he's just he eats up the screen like nobody you know he's just fantastic when he when he needs to command the scene he does and i mean it's even like when you think about when he says it's going to be a scream baby it's the fingers that he does too like <laughs> woo, you know what i mean it's like oh yeah he is yeah, yeah. it's the whole finger twist and it's like yeah that's what people do when they're excited you know what i mean it's like they don't just read the line they the whole body becomes that character. Yeah, that guy's. And dude, I'll tell you what. I I, I watch Scooby Doo, dude. I think he's the best part about Scooby Doo. He, he makes a great Shaggy. I mean, it was perfect. Yeah. It's perfect casting. I, I don't fault for. I don't fault him for taking that role. But I think it. Unfortunately, I think maybe has pigeonholed him a little bit as a kind of a, a comedy yeah, guy. Yeah, but I don't blame him because they weren't giving him anything to to do. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, 
All right. I mean, the sc- unless you want to add something to Scream, I think we kind of said it all. I, I mean, no, sc- I mean, Scream is good. It was a lot better than I thought it was. The only part I had was the Jamie Kennedy with <laughs> with the Jamie Lee Curtis. It was like, but I know he did that on purpose. So that's that was awesome that Craven put that in there just to make fun of himself. And it was, I think it's funny that he did a Carpenter movie instead of a Craven movie to to play that off of. But I I, I don't know. Uh, I think. I think I think it was good because he showed you that he could put his foot in the 80s and put his foot in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. And still get his point across, entertain. Um, and it's funny because I didn't think Scream was going to take off the way it did. Like, Nightmare had a franchise. Scream had a franchise. And he went in and he kind of messed up the recipe a little, messed with the recipe a little. He got a great result. And, I mean, when I rewatched the movie without my wife trying to, soon-to-be wife hiding her <laughs> arm in my shoulder like later on in life yeah i did like the movie i wasn't a big fan of the sequels me either me either. but and it had a little subtext with um gail weathers doing the report about sydney's mom so it's not a cheesy face value movie the, the some of the characters and side characters have their little side plots and, and the reasons for being in the movie he's not just throwing i need a reporter so i threw her in there i i think it was great yeah, like you were saying, the screen was really kind of uh, did a really great job of uh, pre- presenting what it was like in the nineties, or so certainly in the culture, and it did. It really did. Uh, I think after Scream, there was a ton of of sp- uh, spoofs and and knockoffs. You got the, the other slasher films like I Know What You Did Last Summer, and a couple other ones, and it really kind of did. Uh, re-energized the horror genre again because at the time it was kind of dying and people didn't go to the box office to watch these movies and then but after scream it kind of had a new life and now horror hasn't been you know it's bigger than ever and it's more kind of uh mainstream i guess you could say but and it kind of all started with scream how they were able to kind of redefine the the genre yeah and you know it's funny too you're right it's it's not taboo to make a horror movie anymore it's not like um hey we got some time we got some extra film let's make a horror movie it's you can do a well done like famous actor horror film and it could be successful yeah yeah and and that's a great day you know where we can we can put some bigger names into classic movie horror um or horror stories and yeah yeah, I mean, look, Wes Craven, he's a he's a horror icon. Uh, I think it's been a couple of years now that he has passed, and we still miss him. 2015, yeah, he passed, fortunately. He, he's, he was such a great director. Uh, you know, he started his career as a professor, I believe. He was like a English teacher and a, and a philosopher. And, uh, and then he kind of stumbled into the filmmaking and, and, and kind of stumbled into horror filmmaking. And, you know, there were some really great films that he did other than horror. He did like kind of that movie, um, Music from My Heart, was it called? Or um, Music from the Heart? Music from the Heart, with which starred uh, Meryl Streep, and it was kind of a kind of like a like one of those high school teacher dramas, something that he was familiar because he was a teacher. And then he did a really great kind of thriller called Red Eye, which was a really fun movie. Yeah, the Red Eye was good. Really, yeah. I, I saw that 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 was under his. Uh, his name and I couldn't believe it. Yeah, that was such a good little. Yeah, it was, such it was a, very suspenseful, very 
it's it was something different from what he was trying to do with the other horror movies. I mean, it's something like it was more kind of action filled thriller, and I thought he was really good. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to like kind of branch out of that horror genre thing because I think he could have really done some other stuff, but. Yeah, that's how it goes. I mean, look, we got some really great fil- films from him anyway. So, uh, you know, and again, I think he will probably be remembered for these two movies, A, a Nightmare on, on Elm Street and Scream, which is going to be forever f- uh, remembered as some of the best horror movies of all time, but particularly in the 80s and the 90s. So we'll, we'll, I guess we'll leave with that. Uh you know, thank you for listening to Terror Tinos this episode, and and again, if you want to, both of you, <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, uh, if you like this episode, you like this podcast, tell a friend or subscribe or you know, uh, could, I don't know, I don't know how. I you... tell you what I do, dude. When we have like road trips, when we have to go see my mom or whatever, I put this on. <laughs> yeah, you told and me. And the this, kids man. are, the, and I make the kids get take their headphones on. <laughs> like we're gonna listen to Dad be hilarious. God damn it. <laughs> So please, this doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, so please, uh, uh, li- you know, uh, help us uh, grow. And thank you for listening. Uh, and, uh, and and if Matthew Lillard or someone that knows him, <laughs> tell them to listen to this and tell them we're big fans. And if he wants to come on for a special interview, <laughs> we'll make it happen. All right, there you go. Uh, all right, thank you for listening to Tarantino's and. Uh, Yes, we'll be back very soon with a ho- with a new episode and more kind of awesome films from the 80s and 90s. All right, thank you and bye-bye. Later. <laughs>